I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. And we are here today to talk about Soul, the new Pixar film that was released on Christmas Day on Disney Plus that we all had a chance to take in this past week. And we hope you did too. We will talk a bit about this film and uh, we are going to not spoil it to begin with. And then uh, hopefully you'll be able to have a chance to see this film and we can get into sort of more about the movie once we move forward into our discussion of it. I'm your host for today. My name is Craig. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Brett Rutherford. Hello. And Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. And then we have a, a very special person joining us today. Uh, we are so happy to bring back to the podcast and to bring back to this discussion, Floyd Norman, Disney legend Floyd Norman. How are you, sir? I am fine, thank you. Hello. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. So happy to have you. And if you wanted to go back and listen to Floyd's interview with us from this past summer, that's episode 59. So you can go and track that down. Or if you're on the NPR Illinois site, it'll actually be posted at the bottom of this page as well. So you can go and listen to that interview and find all about uh, Floyd's wonderful career. And of course, we want to talk a bit about his experiences at Pixar as well in the discussion with this film as we move forward. But we're excited to get into it. So at first here, I want to do a a brief discussion about our first impressions of the film that is not necessarily going to spoil any parts of the movie for our listening audience, just in case you haven't seen it. And then we will go ahead and let you know uh, once we're going to really start talking about the film proper. But you're our guest today, Floyd. I think you're the first person that should give us your first impressions on Soul. My first impressions on Soul. Well, you know, I purposely stay away from Pixar films uh, these days while the film is in production. I even spent a, a good deal of time last year with uh, the co-director of Soul, Pete Doctor. I know Pete's an old friend. And so uh, I spent a good deal of time with Pete. And yet one of the things we did not discuss was the motion picture Soul. And that's because Disney and Pixar, they, 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 they have certain protocols in place and they would prefer that the film while in production not be discussed. So I never asked Pete one question about Soul and I thought I would just simply watch the film when it came out, when, when it was ready to be shown. Um, and sometimes um, it, it's good that an old veteran like me... Uh, <laughs> avoids the film because I, I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to to bring it down. I, I know there have been Disney films in times past made, produced and directed, written by friends of mine that where the finished film did not come out as well as, as hoped. And uh, there's nothing more difficult than telling your friends that uh, and your colleagues that you did not uh, enjoy their film. And, and that's a tough one because you want to be honest, you know, you, you want to be straightforward and yet you don't want to, uh, you know, criticize unduly because you know, they worked very, very hard on this motion picture. Uh, in the case of soul boy, what a daunting task. I got to hand it to Pixar to take on such, uh, such a uh, difficult subject to deal with, Mm -hmm. concepts like the afterlife and before life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life and all of these things that are really deep 
for an animated motion picture. So the very fact that Pete Doctor, uh, Kemp Powers, and and the Soul team was willing to take on such a daunting challenge, got to hand it to them. It, it's a project that I probably would have been reluctant to take on. Uh, I prefer simpler things like just entertaining the audience and not trying to, um, you know, uh, to carry over these uh, difficult concepts. So uh, boy, oh boy, you know, <laughs> yeah, I got to give them credit for taking on a pretty tough job. That's right. And you know, um, what's interesting is that uh, Inside Out is one of my favorite uh, films, just period, not just P Disney Pixar films. And it's yeah. almost like uh, Pete Doctor in that film took a look at emotions and what makes us uh, tick really and what brings us those. And, and like even at that time, it, it spurred a conversation about um, mental health and therapy and all of these these huge world-changing type conversations. And then this is another film that he dives right into uh, yeah. things like the afterlife and before life and things like that. Um, you know, and I think I'll go next with my first impressions of the film because I should say at the, at the outset that I really enjoyed this film quite a bit. I took a lot out of it. What is interesting to me is that uh, my wife and I did view this on our own. Sometimes with Pixar movies, uh, we decide, you know, instead of our five-year-old son seeing it first, we'll kind of check it out and be able to actually experience the movie. And then we might watch it with him. And what right. I'll say is that I don't know if this is a film that for my particular five-year-old, uh, he would be able to grasp enough of to really take on this movie yet. And it's almost like, Pixar has always been really great about taking adult topics and translating those to children and giving children um, sort of almost giving away for parents to have those types of conversations, those sticky conversations with children right. in an entertaining way. But right. this film, it almost seems like it was made more for uh, people in their 30s and their 40s and, you know, people that are experiencing those uh, moments of life that, you know, did, has life started to pass us by kind of a thing. And so uh, very interesting for sure. So yeah. that would be my first takeaway is that I'm not sure that this is a Pixar movie that I would necessarily show my son. And that's not because it's a bad movie by any means. Right. It's because the topics that it covers are so deep and so um philosophical on yeah, a philosophical exactly. level but it's 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 just a it's interesting for sure yeah, you bet you bet i i'm one of the few people uh, left around these days who actually sat in meetings with walt disney and i couldn't help but think uh if i was watching this film with walt disney what would the old maestro say well the first thing i think walt would say he would turn around in his chair and and look at the filmmakers and say i don't think kids are going to understand this film and I think Walt's uh, instincts would have been correct because I think this film is way over the heads of children. Now, this is not to say that animation cannot handle uh, more adult uh, concepts. It can. Matter of fact, one, that's one of the uh, beauties of animation. It can take difficult subjects and boil them down to their essence and, and make it so that even a child could understand. But I don't think Soul succeeds on this level. I doubt if I could show this film to my to my very young grandchildren and that they, they would understand it. I doubt if they would understand it. As a matter of fact, I barely understand it myself, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a couple of viewings, I think. Uh, Brett, yeah. what are your first impressions of the film? Well, first of all, I mean, this is, I, I enjoyed 
the film because of its complexity and yet its simplicity too. But I must say, um, having you here, Floyd, um, it's going to be hard for me not to smile even through the very serious parts of this because I'm just, again, so thrilled to have you here. So I'm sorry. I was, That's okay. Uh, in, that was not intended to be a suck up, but it really sounds like it, but it's just how I feel. Okay. So that's, <laughs> that's inside. I was showing you my inside out. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank so, you for that. But I think, you know, and again, I mean, with inside out and emotions and this, you know, afterlife, pre-life, all of these things that we've touched on are very polarizing. And as you, as you mentioned, Floyd, that, that, that Pixar would take this on is, well, it's quite an undertaking. Um, what I liked about this film, there were a couple of things. I mean, you know, both visually, again, Pixar, it, I couldn't help but think of not really the simplicity, but kind of, if you compare their first films, if you compare Toy Story to this, you go from, you know, a neighborhood with, you know, with a background and, and you know, a home to New York City is just yeah. phenomenal. You know, right. and the detail of, you know, the characters and, and, and everyone is, I mean, you, you're more familiar with, certainly more familiar with the process, but, you know, having each character be an individual in New York yeah. City gives you a lot of characters. So right. that kind of the beauty of the film touched me. The other thing I think, um, I mean, these are serious, serious topics. And yet I think that what I appreciated most about this film, at least for me, is that it sort of gently took you on this journey. It wasn't, it didn't pound you over the head of this is what we think. It was during the, I guess the, it was the characters, what were they? Um, no, the Jerry's, the, the artistic um, approach to that characterization, which yeah. um, was, was, you know, abstract and kind of, uh, you know, Picasso-like, you know, in a way, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> yes. and, and actually we did watch the, I did watch, uh, it was the Inside Pixar, which had the artist that was kind of responsible for the look of those characters and that there was uh -huh. the wire art. It was right. just fascinating. She, she would be a wonderful individual to, to be around. She would be yeah. so inspiring. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think that there was sort of a gentleness to the, the telling of the story, at least from my perspective, and that it allowed the audience to kind of take their journey and their perceptions into this film. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed right. that I wasn't beaten over the head. I enjoyed that you were able to sort of go on a journey uh, with, you know, with our main character, Jim. Yeah. So right. I enjoyed that. So. Those are my yeah. first impressions. Beauty. If you know anything about our, our director, Pete Doctor, Pete's a very gentle guy. Uh, I, I worked on his first film, Monsters Incorporated. That's been, what, like 20 years ago? Boy, 20 years ago, uh, I worked with Pete on Monsters, Inc. And, and Pete uh, is, is a, such a gentle fellow. By himself, he's just a very sweet uh, gentleman. And I, I remember the last scene of Monsters Incorporated, where Sully pokes his head in the door, and he, and he you know, he, he, you know, to, to greet Boo, and she says "Kitty," and and Sully smiles. Well, that last scene was animated by Pete Doctor himself. Pete animated that last scene, and it's just such a beautiful, tender, charming, 
closing scene for that motion picture. So that tells you a little bit about Pete Doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Vanessa, yeah. what were your first impressions of Soul? Well, my impressions are probably going to say a lot more about me than uh, what they <laughs> are about the film and the creators. Uh, my first impression is that this is a very well done film. Uh, it seems very artistic in a way, um, as as a as opposed to just like a a, a fun, entertaining, uh, carefree movie. This has really more of a purpose, and so I'm sure it's very deserving of all the awards it will win down the line. Um, but as far as uh, comp- and I, I have to compare it to other Pixar films, so. In past um, films, I feel like I'm kind of taken away from my reality and I, I get to go with the monsters into the monster world and I get to go with Nemo under the sea. And and this one, I felt like I was more forced to be introspective. Um, I found Joe to be a very relatable character, again, mid-30s. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I felt very tied to him and his success. And so the film kind of felt a bit somber for me. Um, to see him missing out on these little moments of gratitude and joy. And then at the end, well, I don't want to give any spoilers, but even the ending had me me feeling just a bit somber um, about what about his journey. So um, not that that's a bad thing. I think I agree with all of you that this is uh, might be a a bit weighty for little kids, um, but still a very well done piece of film mm-hmm. yeah and i should Very say good. that you know i have a lot of friends that uh have little children and they are watching it with them and the kids are taking bits and pieces of it they love the cat so we'll talk about that i'm sure um but yeah. you know uh it's it is just one of those things that hit me at least from my first watch of it is it's going to take a little bit of time before and to be fair inside out was also one of those films now inside out maybe came from a different perspective because i love inside out so much and it's one of those things yeah. that as a parent you want your child to love the same things you do so it yeah. takes a moment uh, to to share that, but he absolutely loves uh, Inside Out. So, um, but you know, Floyd, I think before we get into heavy spoilers here, uh, we, you know, we, it would be foolish of us to not ask you sort of your experiences of the Pixar process and how that works when creating and developing a film, um, because you have such insight that we can never have to that. The Pixar process? Well, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Pixar filmmaking process, storytelling process, is not all that different from the Disney process. Uh, people often ask me, uh, how did you get your job at Pixar? And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't apply for a job at Pixar. They, they came down to Disney and they asked me if I would come up and work with them. So it, it was very, very complimentary. My, my first uh, encounter with Pixar was my buddy Joe Ramp that I ran into one evening over in Pasadena. And Joe saw me on the street and said, hey, Floyd, you got to come up to the Bay Area. And we've got this great little studio and we're doing we've got some great plans. And I couldn't take Joe up on that opportunity because I just signed the contract with Walt Disney uh, Studios. Uh, But lucky for me, years later, uh, after the release of Toy Story and Toy Story proved to be a huge hit, uh, I got the request again to go up north to Pixar Animation Studios and I have to tell people, they said, oh, wasn't that totally different working at this digital animation uh, company? I mean, wasn't, wasn't that a totally different process? And I said, no, not really. It was exactly the same. Uh, telling a, a, a story 
whether you're at Disney or Pixar, the process is exactly the same. Now, maybe our production pipeline is different because now with Pixar, we had a digital production pipeline as opposed to a hand-drawn traditional animated production pipeline at Disney at that time. But the process of making the movie, the process of telling the story was no different, no different from working at Disney. So there was no transition that I had to go through. There was no changes that I had to adjust to. The technology was, of course, maturing even as we were making the film. One of the, one of the crazy things about working on Toy Story 2 uh, back in the 1990s was that the technology continued to evolve even as we were making the motion picture, <laughs> which meant that we would have to continually go back and redo scenes because after we had completed the scene, the technology had taken another quantum leap making what we had done seem kind of crummy by comparison. So we had to go back and redo that scene to, to bring it up to, to, to standard. And so this went on throughout production. It just goes to show how quickly the technology was maturing back in the 90s. And look where we are today, where we could literally put anything we imagine on screen because the technology allows us to do so. But bottom line, uh, the basic storytelling process is absolutely no different whether the story was being told by, by Walt Disney or by John Lasseter. Uh, the process of telling the story was exactly the same. You know, and just to mention technology there, I, I sent this to Brett and Vanessa, but in the extra section on Disney Plus, they do have a, a quick little look at how the pandemic changed the, the finished product of uh, soul and how right. basically they were getting close. They were a couple weeks out from wrapping the production and they had to move to their homes. And so it's just yeah. a really interesting look at how that was done. And I would highly suggest anybody interested in kind of the production side of this picture to go back and watch those extras because they also have a conversation with John Batiste and they have of course a conversation with Pete doctor and Kim powers as well. But I thought that the pandemic one in particular was very um, very interesting to see how Pixar handled that. And also it was kind of fun because they were poking fun at the fact that all their cats were showing up in these, uh, in these <laughs> zoom calls and everything. And so it's kind of nice to know that they're going through the same things we are here working yeah, at home. Yeah. Um, so certainly, but I'm, I think at this point, we're going to go ahead and go into sort of our spoiler territory. So if you have not seen the picture yet, uh, we really encourage that you do. It is available on Disney+. Plus. It actually was not uh, given to us with Premier Access, which is kind of an interesting conversation. I think maybe we could um, mention that towards the end here, why we didn't think that that went towards Premier Access, but it was just given to everybody for Disney+. Plus. But uh, certainly uh, go and watch Soul or maybe watch it again. Maybe if you're like me and didn't quite hundred percent understand every direction it was going in, watch it again, and then come back and listen to our conversation because I think it will be uh, definitely worth your while. So we'll go ahead and start talking spoilers now. And the okay. first thing that we want to discuss is really our actors and the voice acting that was brought to this, but additionally the music as well. And now uh, I know Floyd, you had mentioned to me that you'd had the opportunity to meet Jamie Foxx uh, and to speak with him. And so do you wanna go ahead and start us off talking about Joe Gardner and Jamie Foxx? 
Yeah, well, you know, I, it, it's one of the things that's great about uh, working in this industry is that you, you uh, often get a chance, you know, and, and they are special to meet the, the many talented people who work on a film. And, uh, you know, and, and for me, it's just kind of like part of my life. So it, it's never any big deal necessarily when I meet an actor or composer or somebody who's, who's really uh, notable. But it is fun to be able to to meet them and talk to them. And I, I did have the opportunity to meet Jamie Foxx. And I knew that he was doing the voice of uh, Joe Gardner. Uh, while at Disney's D23, I had the opportunity to speak uh, with uh, David Diggs, who was a big success on Broadway in Hamilton. And he did uh, voice work uh, on Soul. Uh, I did not have the opportunity to meet uh, any of the musicians. I would have loved to because... One of the people, I mean, some of the most important people who work on a film are the film musicians, uh, the composers. And I've made it a point to always meet the, the people involved in music because I am a musician myself. I, I like Joe Gardner, I, I'm, I'm a jazz musician. Uh, I, like Joe Gardner, I didn't teach uh, junior high school band, but I was certainly in junior high school band when I was a kid. Uh, I played in band and orchestra and, and junior high school uh, in high school. And uh, not because I was going to become a professional musician, but simply because I loved music. And this is a very important point for me because I feel like the arts are very much a part of our education. And sadly, in recent years, the arts have been slowly been removed from schools and because they just simply didn't have the budget for it. And I look back on my childhood and some of the most important things that I learned while in school was music. I, I played in band, I played in orchestra, I learned to read music, not because I was going to become a professional musician, but all of this was part of my education, part of my life, part of what made me who I am. I have the career I have today because of those formative years when I was a kid growing up in Santa Barbara. Uh, all of those things are so important, not just to me, but to kids today. And I look back at my own life and, and look at all of the things that influenced me and set me off on a course to Hollywood to, to do movies and do television. All that came about because I played in junior high school band. Mm -hmm. A lot like Joe Gardner's students who, who you know, and of course, at junior high school, we all play terribly. I mean, it, the, the, we're just awful. Can but I, as kids, you don't know that. You know, right. you Can know I tell you that you that, that warmed my heart when they did the intro and it was When You Wish Upon a Star, but it was the was junior great? high band version. That, that was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. That, that was a beautiful touch added by Disney, Disney Pixar by having that intro played by a junior high school band and all of its... Uh, Awful glory. <laughs> and it's certain charm. <laughs> yeah, certain charm. So, you bet. Certain charm. That's right. Yeah, but you know, um, with, with Joe Gardner, we do get this uh, middle school teacher who wants to be a jazz musician. And so that is our almost where 
it, obviously it's his story and well, and also to a certain extent, 22's story of discovery, but they're both kind of discovering so much about themselves and, and right. kind of seeing what life has to offer. And in Joe's case, it's looking at his life and thinking of it as, as a disappointment, um, yeah. which we can talk a bit about uh, as well later in that uh, you're, you're, the idea that you're influencing, like you said, Floyd, all those people that influenced you. And then right. now you took what you had and you went off and you have been a successful animator. And you're, like you said, you love to play jazz. I mean, teachers influence us all and are mentors to us all. And right. so we see Joe as kind of a hero, right? Uh, because uh, what he's doing, but he doesn't see it himself. And I think that Jamie Foxx, they, he did a great job of getting that inflection, that, um, yeah. that uh, empathy and that, um, those, those emotions that come along with that. Vanessa, your thoughts on uh, Jamie Foxx's performance? Oh, I thought he was wonderful. I mean, with any character, we, we need to like them. And it was very quickly with combining his voice with the, with the dialogue and, and the writing that he, he became likable so that when he does die, spoiler, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, uh, we instantly are like, oh, no, I was watching it with my mom and, and she's a pianist. And so we're, we're on this journey with him, hoping he gets the gig. And as soon as he drops through the manhole, she was surprisingly most audible she goes what what What? just no no you know he has a gig which is like you never miss a gig so uh (laughs) you made a commitment so anyway um (laughs) i thought jamie fox was great i mean how could he not be he's just wonderful and he's also a pianist i mean jamie fox can actually play the piano right Yeah. yeah You know, and I didn't know that about him because, of course, I came to him from his comedic work. And um, then, of course, seeing him in Ray and that uh, Academy Award winning performance in Ray. But he uh, they're doing a podcast that Kemp Powers, actually, he did a a series of interviews with some of the cast members. And it's exclusive to Spotify, but it's called Soul Stories. So if you have Spotify to check that out. But Jamie Foxx actually talks a lot about him, uh, him going to the uh, this arts academy and kind of he was studying opera and like, you know, and things like that. Just something that I hadn't been aware of in his history for sure. Yeah. Uh, Brett, your thoughts on Jamie Foxx's performance. Well, I thought it was very good. Uh, And it it can be as simple as that actually. Um, I think, you know, when he was being a, a junior high school teacher, he sounded like a very empathetic, good junior high school teacher, Yeah. you know, and then the rest of the time, he was, he was, uh, I would say a fish out of water, but he, at times he was a cat out of water, but he was, yeah. but he was a soul. He yeah. was a soul in search of, of his passion yeah. to get back to unfinished business. Absolutely. And, you know, he becomes that mentor figure and, and you see that in his life through not only his teaching, but also in his interactions with our second lead or our other lead uh, 22 played by Tina Fey. And yeah. um, that's just a, she does it, you know, it's Tina Fey. <laughs> so she yeah. does a, such a wonderful job of, of having, she has to play a broad spectrum of emotions as well throughout this film, because she is uh, completely not wanting to be born into a human life. Right. So yeah. when yeah. you, they, they kind of allow it to pass rather briefly, but in the moment in the orientation session, they say something like this is soul number one trillion, whatever million billion, whatever. 
and then this is number 22, meaning that she has been there since basically the beginning of time and that she right, has right. not wanted to go. And so yeah. I, th I thought that that was a really interesting touch. And then to see her um, play through her emotions and to really experience those little little things about life that we right. probably do take for granted. Maybe, maybe you take less for granted in the year 2020, just because of circumstances, but yeah. you know, like the, the smell of pizza and the, you know, like those, those types of things that we um, really maybe can take a minute and appreciate and that gratitude that you were talking about, Vanessa, but um, yeah. thoughts on uh, Tina Fey's performance and I'll go to Floyd first. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, Tina Fey is, is pretty much playing herself, or, or at least the, <laughs> yeah. since since we don't know Tina, at least the character we we you know she plays. So we kind of we kind of know who she is. And and when it comes to casting, we always tend to look to actors to performers who seem to embody the essence of the character. And and uh, we needed someone who was cynical, and 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 somewhat petulant like like Tina Fey's character, the character she plays on television. And so she just seemed to fit the character of 22 perfectly because of her cynicism and because of her reluctance to really uh, want to become a life and enjoy life. And, and so uh, her performance was, was dead on, but we, we tend to, we tend to cast our actors uh, we, we get to know our characters and then we say, who best embodies that character? You know, we go over a list of names, we go over a list of actors, some well-known, some not so well-known, but uh, usually they turn out to be a perfect fit. And that's because uh, we look for those characteristics and, and uh, we try to bring them together. Uh, that's what's so fascinated about fascinating about making an animated film is that you have the opportunity to to sit down and think about who would I love to have play this character and then you realize good heavens you can actually ask this famous person <laughs> to come to Pixar and and yes. record for you and they'll do it <laughs> yeah. do you know where you're working yeah they'll do it you know they'll do it. <laughs> and I don't know I still I still find that amazing to walk into a recording studio a recording stage and and have famous people in there people you thought you'd never even met and and sometimes they're happy just to get a gig you know <laughs> they're they're happy to do the job because you know they're they're getting paid to have a good time so uh, i i think we're all winners in, the, in, in this respect absolutely uh you yeah. know it's really interesting that you mentioned that because um we just had the opportunity to speak to uh Brenda Chapman, and she just directed the movie Come Away, and she was talking about uh, David Owelu and how like she was like, oh, I saw his name on the potential casting sheet, and yeah. just thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And then they were like, well, no, you can contact him. <laughs> you know, you could go for him. And of course, he was a great fit in that movie. So it's just really funny that you uh, bring up a similar point. Um, but uh, Vanessa, uh, your thoughts on Tina Fey? I know you're a fan. Oh yeah, who doesn't love <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and all those gals from SNL? They're just great. And yeah. uh, of course, her line delivery is so wonderful. I think she also helped with maybe some of the writing of the jokes, which, so as I heard them, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like Tina Fey may have written that. Oh yeah, that's a good one, Tina. Yeah, We're on yeah, a first we, name basis, me and Tina. Yeah, we we encourage that. <laughs> we we encourage our, our actors, if they feel like, you know, if they feel like they can do it better or say it better, uh, we encourage them to write, you know. 
Yeah. And, and, and you can tell that her humor's there and she just, again, another wonderful casting in picking Tina Fey for that part of 22. Yeah. You know, and uh, I didn't put it together until just now, but of course, uh, Amy Poehler being an inside out, maybe she contacts her friend Tina Fey and says, hey, the next time they bring about one of these, let's, yeah. why don't you go, why don't you go uh, take Pete Doctor's phone call or something like that, you know, um, but, uh, but Brett, yeah. your thoughts on Tina Fey? I thought it was a very layered performance. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we get her kind of quintessential Tina Fey moments yeah. throughout, but later on in the film, when there's uh, when she has gone back to the whatever it's called the kind of like the, the yeah the great before. the great before the great, well great she before. went back to where she came and yeah. and then she is number twenty two so yeah. she is hearing all this negative talk that lives with her yeah from throughout history from these very famous and and from what we would assume very loving. <laughs> Uh, when, when you're annoying Mother Teresa, you know that there might be an issue. Yeah, not her, it's you. But 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 this but it was all of this negative talk. Yeah, um, that self talk that that was really preventing her from from go from moving on to the next step. So I think that her um, that and, and even her I mean her sobbing and her crying are things that you know we haven't had a, an opportunity to see her do in yeah. you know in a serious mm -hmm. film or other thing like that she's known primarily for her comedy and her brilliance overall brilliance tina yeah. if you're listening and uh, <laughs> and so i so i i enjoyed a, a multi-layered performance and yeah. we were we were able to uh hear aspects of uh of, of her talent that we haven't heard before and i enjoyed yeah. that very much mm -hmm. You know, when we were discussing this before, uh, Vanessa, you mentioned the lost souls as a concept. And I know uh, that I think that this might be a cool, uh, good on-ramp to talk a bit about that concept uh, and that scene because it's so involved Tina Fey's character of 22 because she becomes a lost soul. Uh, yeah. And that that spoke to you a bit, right, Vanessa? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's kind of in therapy. Uh, I'm not a therapist, but I dabble, you know, hobby <laughs> therapist and uh, just fixing all my friends for free. Um, and that is really the goal, right? Is to get you from preventing yourself from living your best life. And, and most of the time it's what we've created for ourselves that's stopping us. It's not usually an external person because you can always leave that person. So it's usually something inside you that's keeping you from doing what you need to do to be happy and, and having a visualization of that and having it be all these little tiny grains of sand, because really to me, that's like, oh, the, all the little tiny thoughts, the negative things that you tell yourself constantly without realizing you're saying it to yourself internally. And then it just, and wrapping you up into this, this kind of monster being it's, I just think it's just a perfect visualization of what that feels like. And then to have uh, the Graham Norton character come and free you. I mean, I think we all need a Graham Norton in our life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take up yeah. board spinning just for the zen of it. Right. You know? so, so that my hat's off to Pixar for that. Cause as soon as that came on, I was like, Oh, this is so perfect. It really is. Well, you know, we, um, Floyd, you, uh, do you ever feel like they talk about that in the zone working? And I, I feel like as an animator, have you ever had that experience where it's almost like a, you're just completely in the zone and you're just working through a project and feel like you could draw for hours or days? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think, well, you know, keep in mind the creative process, uh, whether I'm being an artist or a musician, uh, there's something truly glorious about that creative process when things are working, when things are coming together, when you feel like you can do no wrong. Uh, I think that's one of the glorious things about being an artist, about being a musician, is because you have these moments of just sheer joy. Uh, you almost feel sorry for those who cannot share what we are, I guess, lucky enough to share. I mean, I mean, I look at my own life uh, to be able to play music, to be able to create art, to be able to tell stories and to not just do it for myself, but to share this with millions of people. I mean, it is, it is a, a marvelous thing to be in that zone. And when, when Joe was playing, when he was at the piano and he began to drift off into this sort of uh, ether of uh, this sort of uh, place, this marvelous place he had suddenly traveled to because he was so into what he was doing. This is what creators, uh, this, is what, this is what gives our lives meaning because we can uh, be in this zone we can, in a sense, touch our souls and the souls of others by our art, by our music, by our storytelling. So it's a, it's a, it's a glorious gift, really. And I consider myself so fortunate to have had what I've often called the best job in the world, to be able to do things that make me feel so good and it makes others feel good as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we, um, we probably could speak a lot about other, you know, we mentioned Graham Norton very quickly there. We could probably speak about a lot of other characters. I will say um, they didn't have uh, this primarily the work was done by Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey in this film, as far as the exposition and the dialogue. Um, one character I did want to throw out there because I think that he has such a linchpin performance to this entire thing is, um, is Curly and that's Questlove. Uh, and, you know, him being that connective tissue that gets Joe into the gig. Um, yeah. And he has a line, and this is something that um, I almost feel like the movie could have done a bit more with, is that he has a line where he says, you know, uh, Mr. Gardner, I was in your middle school band and it changed my life because now I'm here doing this because of you. And I feel yeah. like that moment was one of those that was just kind of kind of left out there hanging where it yeah. could have been picked up and, and talk about, you know, almost like a, a Mr. Holland's opus esque uh, type yeah. of examination of teaching as a profession right. kind of a thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do wanted to, I wanted to mention him. Uh, I really enjoyed his performance. He had probably more lines than uh, just about some of the others that we had. Uh, of course, a great all-star cast. Uh, Brett, you had a thought on that though. <laughs> Those, that sort of, that example was, um, a way that I enjoyed that we got it, but we didn't, we weren't pounded on the head about we're going to be, we're going to tell you how important it is to be a teacher. Well, we know that we know that. And so I'm, I'm sorry, just to, to, just to, to say that was one of the things that I very much enjoyed about the show is that it just sort of feeds you little bits for you to absorb and maybe watch it again. And, and, and I enjoyed that because, because I don't think, um, I don't think you need to pound points into your audience's head because, you know, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, but, you know, don't underestimate your audience. We'll get yeah. it. 
right. I, I can see yeah. I can see it from that perspective <laughs> as well. Any other um, any other characters? Right, you have one that you wanted to. Well, mention? actually, I don't really have one, but I just have a general comment about the casting, the vocal talent, and the casting of the vocal talent. That sometimes, sometimes when you have very very famous people in parts, you kind of take their other characters. Um, you, you sort of bringing all of their characters into this character that you're seeing. And sometimes that, that is somewhat of an impediment into learning about this character. And what I liked about this is that they had some extremely talented and very famous people, but it didn't get in the way. You just, you heard of, like, if you hear Felicia Rashad, you're going, Oh, Mrs. Huxtable and all of these you know, other characters that you came, but but it went away really fast. And that's probably the writing, it, and it certainly could be attributed to the actor as well. But I didn't, it wasn't like stunt casting. It yeah. was like, I've, I thought that they all served a great purpose. And, you know, if, if, to your point that um, esteemed actors have kind of small parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, but, but it's still, it tells a wonderful story and they, bring a wonderful characterization to even the small parts. I mean, Angela Bassett is, is wonderful Perfect. in her She's part, perfect. you know, and, and then also, and David Diggs, I mean, that's some kind of a small part, you know, <laughs> yeah. we need, so yeah, so we need yeah. to have his story. So we need to have the backstory and all this stuff. Multiples. We get to, we, we need to, we need to follow up and make sure he's okay. You know, you know we yeah. need to make sure that he's, he's okay was, after seeing his own yeah. death in front of him. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but but uh, anyway, I like that. I thought that, you know, the casting did not get in the way. They were very famous people and wonderful actors, but um, they they told the story and they kind of disappeared, which is what you want in an actor is to disappear exactly. into your character. Yeah, so. yeah. And, you know, I think what we can do is talk a bit about the uh, animation, but also I want to talk about the music as well, because so much of this film to me was the jazz that it brought. But not only the jazz, but you have this dichotomy between amazing jazz music and then you also have, uh, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross giving you the score. And it's just it's like those those two things in my mind shouldn't work as harmoniously as they did in this it film. It was like jazz meets blue man group almost, you know? <laughs> it kind of had that that yeah. rhythmic sound to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean jazz is a metaphor for a lot of this whole soul experience, you know. You bet. Just yeah. kind of true. So. Yeah, you it said, truly is. Yeah, you mentioned that uh you're a musician yourself as well, but do you want to speak to the a bit about the, the music, uh Floyd? Music is always uh, an extremely important part of of uh, any any film, uh, and and, it, and of course, because it because of its contribution to the storytelling, music is really really important, and that's why on every film I've worked on, one of the first things I I do is I always get to know my composers, I want to know who they are, and I generally I, I'm usually well acquainted with their work. And I have such respect for uh, for composers because of what they do, because of how good they are. I consider myself sort of an amateur musician. I I love music, not be, not because I'm good at it, but but because I just simply love it. I'm actually uh, a mediocre talent when it comes to music, but I learned the music. I learned to read music simply because I love music, and I love to, unlike a lot of animators. 
I love to be on the recording stage. To me, it's important to be there with the orchestra, with the conductor, with the composer, because music is such a critical part of the motion picture. My most recent time on the, on the recording stage was with Michael Giacchino uh, when he was uh, recording. And, and uh, I, I dare say I was the only animator uh, in the recording stage because I guess most people just, I don't know, they, they feel like it, they don't care, not because they don't care about it or they don't realize its importance, but because it's, I guess to them it's not critical. But to me, uh, if I'm part of a project, I want to be there on the recording stage with the musicians, with the composer, because that is such an important part of the storytelling process. So I don't separate music from storytelling because it is the two of them just go together. They, they are so important to each other. And of course the music and soul uh, is critical. I mean, the, the work of Trent Reznor and, and the, the, and John Baptiste, I mean, all of that stuff, that's what makes the movie. That's what brings it all together. Absolutely. It's yeah. beautiful. And it's one of those um, where I think that the soundtrack is one that will live on in my mind because I can put it on uh, and listen to it sort of as you're working. And yeah. um, again, going back to the the soul stories uh, in that interview with Pete Doctor, he mentioned that that is what he does, that he hardly ever listens to uh, any uh, non-instrumental music because when he's animating, when he's working, this is like, that's how he gets in that headspace and does and get distracted from the lyrics, but yeah. really is able to kind of free flow and animate in that way. And I think that's really interesting to his creative process as well as, as he brought that to the screen. Um, Vanessa, your thoughts on the music uh, and just any other aspect of the production you want to start talking about as well? I thought the music was great. I, I will say, I don't know if it's because I was in such a mellowed out kind of sad mood but I didn't take in the jazz part of the music the upbeat jazz music until I went back and listened to the soundtrack and of course that that song that rolls in the credits is just so delightful I wish I had heard it earlier in the film and, and maybe I did and I was just in my own head um, as far as the kind of ethereal music um, like I said it reminds me of Blue Man Group but I think it did a really good job of kind of uh, laying a soundtrack for the unknown and that's not in a terrifying way it was in a um, peculiar I don't know what's going on what is this it's slightly strange but it's comforting at the same time I think yeah. that was a really well done choice in creating the music so I really appreciate it I also wanted to ask Floyd what instrument do you play I, I didn't play anything well uh, my first instrument uh, when I was a kid was, of all things, the violin, uh, although I was a terrible violinist. Uh, I, I realized this, and I switched over to saxophone, tenor saxophone in particular, and then I, I learned to play the clarinet, and following the clarinet, the flute. Now, a lot of this was driven because I wanted to play in a big band. And uh, the requirements of the big band was you not only played your principal instrument, which was the saxophone, but that you could also play clarinet. And they would like it if you can play the flute as well. So I, I made it a point to learn to play all three instruments. Uh, not well, mind you, but uh, good enough to get by. And, uh, and that's all you need. 
Yeah, yeah that's and, all you and, need. You're fine. Half excellent. those musicians don't practice for their gigs anyway. Yeah, that's so <laughs> great. Did you know that that Pete Doctor uh, plays the double bass? Pete Doctor is a musician as well. Oh wow! He plays wow. double bass, and his his father, Dave Doctor, uh, who was a professor, uh, I think at the University of Minnesota. I, don't, I forget what what school exactly, but I went to high school with Dave Doctor. And we oh were, wow! We were both uh, young musicians at Santa Barbara High School many many years ago, so I went to high school with Pete Doctor's father. Nice. Wow! Small world. Small yeah. world. <laughs> Absolutely. There's ended up song. ended up working right. for Dave's son on Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. You never you never know. You just That's never perfect. know. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Brett, do you have any comments on the music and do you want to talk about maybe the animation as well? We can get into that conversation. Sure. I can move this along. I, um, I think, I, I don't know, maybe I've heard this and maybe it's right or wrong, but I've heard that, that, um, as far as scores for music that, um, that only, that there are certain times that they don't want you to hear it. It's important because you know, if it wasn't there, Yeah. but, um, I think I didn't, I don't recall, uh, I don't recall the score. So I will now because I did enjoy this film. I will be uh, going in on, on a granular level and learning all about it. So including all of the music again. But yeah. yeah. But from a production standpoint, again, I kind of mentioned that at the beginning. It just is astounding the progress. And and Floyd, it was so interesting. You know, you saying that you had to you had to revisit scenes that you'd already completed in um, in Toy Story two. You know, I'm like going. Oh my gosh, because you were talking about the last time we spoke, you were talking about one of your first um, animation uh, jobs as in the betweener was working on the wings of the, the fairies in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I'm like going, and they beat so fast. I'm like going, oh my gosh. So I'm like going, you shouldn't have to go back, but I'm, we're all glad that you <laughs> did. So you've already put in your hard work, but yeah. production, I, you know, again, the simplest, in relative simplicity, uh, you know, it, it's all digital and it's ones and zeros and it's just amazing and astounding, the progress. But yeah. I'm like going, they're taking on New York City. Have they done, you know, they've done very large projects, but, you know, something that is sort of based in reality, you know, they are an animated, um, you know, people, but yeah. they're very recognizable and they're all individuals and that's just amazing. So, I mean, artistically, I mean, I wonder if there's going to be the art of of soul you know that that book yeah. um but anyway i i thought it was just um gore- again gorgeous and they they keep raising their own bar which is certainly it's astounding that they still try to raise yeah. their own bar you know yeah. i enjoyed that so and I, and I think that i went to pixar my first going to pixar was in the late 90s i believe and 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 how far we've traveled since that time technologically i mean Artistically, we're always uh, pushing ourselves as artists, but the technologists uh, are also doing incredible things as the technology continues to move forward. So it's it's really kind of like this marvelous blend of art and technology. And uh, it's just great to be part of uh, that creative process. 
Absolutely. I, I, I think we would want to talk to you about particularly the, the look and feel of the animation in Soul. You know, a lot of people online are comparing this to the visual effects of seeing Coco because you get so much of, like the, you get the ethereal as Vanessa mentioned. Yeah. Um, you get the city like Brett mentioned, but visually this is a stunning piece of, of yeah. work. Uh, and I wanted to get your comments on that. Well, you know, with every Pixar film, uh, I mean, the, the visuals become more and more stunning because the technology allows us to do more. And, and I guess that's a blessing of, of, of having uh, these incredible tools that we could only have dreamed about some years ago. Uh, now we have them. Now we can do pretty much anything. I remember back on Monsters, Inc., the big challenge on that film was, can we do fur? We had to put fur on Sully, the big monster, the big blue monster. And could we do convincing fur? And finally, the, the, uh, the technologists at Pixar, through their hard work and skills and diligence, they were able to do that. So every time there's a, a new bar, you know, every time there's a new challenge, you know, we, you know, the, the, uh, the talented people at that studio rise to it and, and, uh, and accomplish it. So that's what's so amazing to be a part of this amazing business today is that knowing that whatever you aspire to, whatever you dream, you can probably accomplish if you're willing to stick to it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a tribute to the, the talented men and women who, keep making the impossible possible. <laughs> Vanessa, your thoughts on the overall look and the, the animation production of this film? Oh, I, I agree with Brett that this, especially the New York City um, shots are just beautiful and I love how detailed it is. And it, it's, it's almost like you feel like you're there watching it. And then yeah. when, you know, they go to the beyond, it's um, again, it, it just does a very nice job of making it, strange unusual without being too scary as far as the characters i mean i have to say it, it's really nice to see people of color animated and in different ways and just having everybody represented it's 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 nice to see that in a film so i just think they really did a knockout job on on the animation of this movie I, what I'd like to do now is uh, we still want to talk a bit about any kind of favorite scenes and moments that we have, and we can go around uh, quickly to do that. And then also wanted to mention about maybe if there's aspects of the film that didn't quite gel with us, didn't quite work, but uh, Floyd, we'll go to you first. Did you have any moments you wanted to mention uh, based on like your favorite moments of the, the film? Yeah, my, my moment, my, my first disconnect came with, um, and this is really personal, but maybe other musicians can relate to it. Uh, when Jamie Foxx, a character, Joe Gardner, uh, plays his first gig at the club, and they were hugely successful, and the audience cheered, and they, everybody had a great time. And, and Joe's waiting outside the club uh, with the band leader and, and feeling somewhat dejected because he thought there would be more. He thought he would feel differently. And he felt somewhat let down because he thought that would be much, much more. Well, as a creative and as a musician, this felt totally wrong to me. 
And, and I would have to, uh, I, I would love to talk to Pete about this because one of the things that we as musicians, one of the things that, that drives us is that we love what we do. And when we're able to perform, when we're able to be on stage or in a club and, and, and touch an audience, it is the greatest feeling in the world. So the idea that Joe would stand outside the club and say, I thought I would feel differently, I thought there would be more, felt totally false to me. Because as a musician, when I've been a performer, when I played a concert, when I played a, a gig, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And it takes me a while to come down. The reason a lot of bands don't even go home and go to bed is because we cannot sleep. <laughs> we are on such a high we have to go out, even at the middle of the night, we'll go out and look for a place to have breakfast because we are so jazzed on what just happened, what we just felt, what we just gave to our audience. It is the greatest feeling in the world. And so for a jazz musician to say, I thought there would be more, felt totally wrong to me. Yeah. Whenever I played a gig, whenever I played a concert, I am on such a high, I, 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 I don't want anymore. It's like, I want to do this again. This is what life is all about. This is what, this is why I'm alive. This is what I'm, this is why I'm alive. So that note with Joe saying, I thought there would be more felt totally false to me. Yeah. Vanessa, I heard you over there cheering him in the corner there. <laughs> that that was my biggest hang up with this film. I still think it's a beautiful, well done film, but there is a real thing called a performance high. Yeah. And you, like you said, you go out after performance. And that's why we hear so many uh, performers. Like I, I especially think of our Broadway performers right now who are not getting to do what they love so dearly. Yeah. And they want to do it every night. They want to do the two performances on Saturday, the matinee in the evening, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I just, I, I, I did, I felt like that was wrong. And, and I felt like in the beginning of the film, we, we have Joe, lose his opportunity and we're just devastated but the film's not over so we spend yeah. the whole film waiting for him to, for this moment and to have his joy stripped from him made me very sad for him like well, what was <laughs> that this should have been it for him this is this is where we find our excitement and and many times with our performers i i run a theater and we'll tell them you know make sure you take care of yourself because after the run's over that's when the depression hits you that's when you get physically ill because yeah. you've, you've been on this adrenaline for so the run of this these performances so yeah i yeah. agree with you floyd totally that's that was my kind of one it took me a while to get to that point but after spending a few hours a couple days <laughs> thinking it over i'm like yeah that's that's it that's what was bugging me yeah yeah that's right that's right you know, and I, uh, Brett, I see you, I want your reaction too, but I, I don't want to like armchair rewrite that scene for anybody because they are better at that than I am. But you know, it's almost like that could have been the connective tissue to 22. Maybe Joe having experienced that gig, 
thinking, oh, now I really need to go mentor 22 and tell her, I really need to go back and say, no, this life is worth living. This is, um, you need to come and experience this because what I just experienced was something just absolutely remarkable. And yeah. it almost is like that sends the um, end of the, the propulsion of the film in a much more positive direction. And, and yeah. again, maybe makes it a bit more kitty. Uh, and you know, Brett, I, I get that you're saying like that it might be over the top or, or the beats you on the head, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he would, he's, he's gotten to experience what he considers his apex. He's also being told by others in the film that, that he also mentored them and where it was a positive impact to them. So it almost leaves us thinking like, what does Joe want? Like what, what more could this guy possibly want? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and that's not, that's not a good feeling to have towards your main character towards the end. But Brett, you had a thought on that. Okay. Um, certainly valid points. Absolutely. I'm thinking as far as the story goes though, that that would have been an end. You know, oh, I, I succeeded and maybe I'll have a chance to come back. Well, anyway, he still had a lot more to learn. And that's when I think in the final quarter of the film, that's when he had to appreciate his life. Because at that point, he didn't know, you know, if he was going or coming or, you know, leaving or whatever. But yeah. I think, you know, those, he didn't yet accept his joy because he still had more to learn. And, and I think that's, and that's what the last quarter is about. If that would have been, you know, the high point in the climax, then the film didn't really have any where to go because he, he wasn't, that wasn't his lesson yet. Yeah. He still had to learn a little bit more. And, and then, and then if you're talking about favorite scenes, my, one of my favorite scenes is the last, the last, frames of the film where you know he's asked you know what is he going to do and then like going and he just kind of says it very simply and we don't know and yeah. I think that's what because now he can start living his life with the knowledge and the experiences that he had learned about and yeah. that how important his life was and it, you know when he was that he that he in fact accomplished more than he thought he had and he has the opportunity to even to now really do it because he had impressed he had impressed the was it the jerry's you know the jerry's gave him another you know yeah. chance so i'm like going yeah. so to impress the jerry's after the amount of time that they've been there um he gets to go make new choices and uh and live his life which i yeah. think you know because i think that's that's a very introspective part to the audiences you know We've we've come we've had this journey of this film now. How what choices do we make? Yeah, going I can forward, see that. So. I get that. Um, I I appreciate that. I I do. I think if I'm looking at like what my um one of my favorite parts of the film was not so much the deep parts. I this is going to seem silly, but that cat just got me. I think it was because of the <laughs> where it came in the film. 
Um, yeah. It was such a serious tone to a Pixar film. I was like, oh boy, we better strap in here. Like this is going to be, we're, we're getting a lesson here from Pixar, uh, you know? And then just out of nowhere, they brought that, they brought that brevity and that, like that, that funny aspect of the, the cat and him switching bodies. And oh my goodness, yeah. like that stuff just cracked me up. And then, um, you know, they're hearing each other's voices, but they cut to the others in the room that are hearing the cats meowing or like hissing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness, that just had me rolling. <laughs> I was like, well, I it was, was well, uh, yet great comedic effect. But I'm like going, the lessons he had to learn were from 22, when she was, you know, when she was in his body and just kind of, you know. And again, this was kind of a jazz because she was kind of like riffing on life. You know? Yeah, exactly. He was just paying attention to what yeah. she had to say because it was it was extremely profound. Yeah. You know? and, she was and she was, she was jazzing. Really I mean, now. jazzing. Yeah, she was jazzing. Totally. Yeah. You know, right. and yeah, and that, and I, I wanted to, and I don't, rem- I wanted to find out what the specific line was. That it's not about when they were talking about the Jerry's were talking about. Oh, you mentors are all about you know finding you know your reason when it was something else. It was something simple. And oh, for, the spark. Yeah, and for the spark twenty-two, is your purpose. And for yeah. twenty-two, it was you know the. What are they called? Those the little propeller, yeah, helicopter, you know, things. I mean, that was the thing that did it. It was yeah. the wonder. It was the spark. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's a really, I mean, that was really interesting that it, it in the end, they switched away from, because Joe's thinking he needs to find his purpose. And we have whole, like, art pieces about purpose and, and things like that. Uh, I'm thinking about Avenue Q, the whole song purpose from that musical, yeah. like, but you know, uh, this uh, is saying that that spark can be just about anything and it doesn't necessarily need to be that purpose. Like you can that find that in yourself. And, and I did enjoy that aspect for sure of the film. Yeah. Um, I, I want to see if there's any other uh, either scenes that didn't quite work for us or did that we loved. Um, Vanessa, did you have anything you wanted to add into that conversation? Well, I'll just add that the overarching uh, theme of practicing gratitude and not forgetting those little moments, I think is a very good um, part of the story. And I'm glad that they, um, you know, incorporated that, you know, there's a lot, even though we've kind of said that this might be a bit weighty for kids, um, when they are able to kind of start wrapping their heads around it, there are some very good teachable moments within the film that even us adults don't always know you know, so it's even some adults should be watching this right now and taking home these stories. So, um, and these lessons. So, uh, I just, I, I did enjoy the show, uh, the film and the movie, but, um, despite that one little hiccup I have, um, just from the performer's perspective, but. Absolutely. I, I, I can see that and I can understand that for sure. Uh, we're going to start moving into sort of our final thoughts on the film. Uh, Floyd, any final thoughts you wanted to give us on this film? My final thoughts would be if I was uh, showing this movie to Walt Disney, what would Walt say? And I think Walt's concern would be you guys have some great ideas here. Uh, I think what you're trying to say is important. Can you be more focused? Can you simplify? Can you be, uh, I hate to say it, more entertaining? as you sell us these ideas. I, I kind of feel this is what, this is why I would be chewed out by the old man uh, if I had pitched this film or if I had shown this film to Walt Disney. 
he would have found it a bit too complicated, a bit too esoteric. And he would say, can you, and not that the ideas aren't, aren't, uh, you know, they're great ideas. The concepts are, are terrific. The message is, is, is there, but can you tell me the story? Can you get these ideas across in a simpler, more entertaining way? Uh, I recall so many times uh, Walt would always want to boil things down to their essence. He would always want to simplify. He would always want to find a way to be more direct and less uh, esoteric. And I think that would be my major criticism. It's not that the ideas in this film are not bad. The ideas are solid. The ideas are good. Uh, I think we have a, the storytelling, for me anyway, and I think for Walt, would be the storytelling is a little bit lengthy and tedious. And let's get the job done and be more direct. Brett, your final thoughts on the film. I have a lot to take away and I can't wait to watch it again. But I thought <laughs> in this instance, in this instance, in order to find your soul, you have to lose your soul. And then, you know, and you, and it was about, it was about a journey and about lessons. And in this instance, you know, Joe was able to learn the lessons and get back to, to life. And that isn't what always happens, but, you know, with movies like this, we have the opportunity to be a little bit more introspective and take a look at ourselves and, you know, the positives and the negatives and the, you know, I'm a failure, I'm not, you know, sort of thing. But if you, it, it gives you a chance to examine you know, through this film, it gives you a chance to uh, examine your own life and, and your lessons and your takeaways and how to, uh, you know, get back on track if you're not on track and then to and be grateful if you are. Vanessa? I think for our listeners, they probably want to know, would we recommend you see this film? And I would say, yes, go watch the film. It's, it's a well done, um, maybe a uh, high concept film, but it's still enjoyable. Um, there's still something to take away from it. And everybody needs a little break from Frozen from time to time. So, you know, it's very different from the entertaining and uh, musical <laughs> film of Frozen. So it'll, it'll have you thinking internally. And, and that's, that's not always a bad thing. Yeah. I guess my final thought would be, first of all, I want to see this. Uh, I do want to do the double feature of Inside Out and Soul because I feel like that would be good for my soul. Um, but also I wanted to mention, I, I mentioned at the top, uh, and this is just my theory. And of course, no no interviews out there like that that gives any insight into this but we have this thing called premiere access uh on disney plus where mulan was premiere access uh the next walt disney animated feature in march is going to go to premiere access i do feel like pixar probably thought and disney probably thought that this was an awards contender and that this was going to be potentially something that could win some statues at the Oscars and, and at award season. And I wonder if the decision was made to make sure that they were um, allowing this be seen by many eyes and be kind of part of the conversation moving forward. And that's probably that's possibly why they decided not to put it on to premier access. I, I have started kind of doing some research into the Oscars. You know, we love covering the Oscars and talking movies. And um, there is a lot of speculation that this could be the fourth animated picture nominated for best picture. Um, and so there's, you know, there's 
I think that that is a, a discussion that I'm sure that Disney and Pixar are, are happy to be a part of. And uh, of course, the music from this, whether that's John Batiste and that that song that rolls during the credits, if that's not nominated for best original song, holy moly, what are you doing, Academy? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the score as well um, and everything else, the visuals are stunning. And so I think that there's a lot to take from this movie and I can't wait to watch it again and then maybe change my tune. You know, this conversation has actually helped me flush some things out about this movie and some thoughts and feelings about this film. And uh, maybe I will be able to kind of redetermine whether or not um, my son might enjoy this film as, as we move forward and can watch it together and it'll be yeah. on Disney plus now for forever, which is amazing to be able to go back and be able to, to reexamine that. So, but you know, as we come to a close here, I just want to say Floyd, Thank you so much uh, for your insights and for your conversation with us today. Um, I know that if, again, you can definitely go back and listen to Floyd's interview with us in episode 59, but also you have a whole documentary about your life that people should go (laughs) and check out Floyd Norman and animated life. It's an amazing film. Um, But is there anything else that you wanted to speak on as we start to wrap up? Well, I think it's, it's truly amazing that uh, this film has provoked uh, so much conversation. Usually animated films, people, uh, they go watch them, you know, and then they, you know, they say, oh, that was fun, and they forget about it. But I've never heard so much discussion in the past few days over a Pixar motion picture. So I've got to give Pixar Animation Studios credit for making a film that has gotten people to start talking, to start thinking, some cases to argue with each other about the meaning of the film. <laughs> it, it's maybe the filmmakers have been successful in that they have uh, provoked so much conversation about the subject matter and about this motion picture. So kudos to Pixar for a, a job well done and for getting people to start thinking and to start talking and to start looking at life differently. Yes. Brad, any, uh, any words of wisdom as we start to wrap up? Well, um, speaking of uh, Floyd Norman and animated life, it, may also, it also makes an excellent um, holiday or Christmas gift. Which is good. <laughs> so, because it's available on, on Blu-ray and they, they did a new printing and so it's still available. So I yeah. was able to gift that to some people. And so thank you for that. Thank you for your life. Thank you. Well, so you, <laughs> you already gifted it to some people. Okay. I was I like, you know, we are a little bit beyond uh, the holiday season here, but yeah. that's great. That's perfect. I, I'm already grateful for my life. I have, uh, unlike <laughs> Joe Gardner, thank you. unlike Joe, I have no complaints. I have no second thoughts. Uh, I, I've, um, I had a dream and I've uh, been lucky enough to achieve it. So yeah. can't, you can't do any better than that. Yep. Vanessa, any final uh, words here? I don't really have any. (laughs) I've had such a good time talking about the movie with you all. You know, I've kind of poked around on the internet and just, I was waiting to just really talk to you all and kind of hash it out and, and see if there was any stone left unturned. And I I feel like we did that. And I'm so thankful to you all, and especially to you, Floyd. And I have to say you and Joe both wear the hat very well. (laughs) Well, you've got a lot of soul, Vanessa. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, as we wrap up here, we do uh, want to mention to you that, of course, you can find our podcast uh, anywhere. Podcasts are available by searching for Beyond the Mouse. You can also follow us on social media if you look at Beyond the Mouse podcast on Facebook or Beyond the Mouse pod on Instagram. We are part of NPR Illinois Community Voices, so you can, of course, find us on the nprillinois.org website as well. So thank you uh, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, If you're fans of Floyd and you're listening to us for the first time, thank you so much for that. And we do have previous interviews and episodes. We hope that you go back and explore those as well. We've got a lot of things upcoming in the new year. We have a lot planned for you. Uh, Some things that we don't want to announce quite yet, But I will say a quick production programming note. Uh, We are actually releasing our normal episode tomorrow, and that will be our year-end review, talking all things 2020 and talking about the amazing 2020 we had as a podcast. And then we're actually going to take January 8th off. So you won't have a a weekly episode from us then because we really did two episodes this week. So we're going to (laughs) take a a, a week off and then be back at it with you on uh, January 15th on that Friday. So uh, thank you again so much for uh, listening to this. This and go back and rewatch Soul and have these discussions. If you ever want to reach out to us, feel free to do that. We really do appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. For Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brett. I'm Floyd. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Man, that was so great. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's so nice to have your name on there too. (laughs) Oh my gosh.